Zombies? Check. Sci-fi prison? Check. Historical figure? Check. Prestige casting? Check. Commentary on the human condition, drawing analogies to our current crisis of confidence in ourselves and our tendency to blame and persecute the other in response? Check. Houdini reference? Check. Sounds like the Witchfinders tried to cover all the bases. Let's see if it succeeded on This Week in Time Travel. Welcome to This Week in Time Travel. I'm Chip. I'm Alyssa. And we're on something resembling our regular schedule again. I mean, maybe you are, but I'm still jet-lagged from being in California, so my body has no idea where it is at the moment. So that suggests to me that you did not have the opportunity for the super-secret, totally not-a-jab-and-response-to-being-made-fun-of-by-Doctor-Who preview of uh, The Witchfinder that Amazon accidentally provided. No, I had no idea this was happening until everyone talked about it happening and being taken down, which is just, of all weeks, this is the only week where I'm completely offline and away from the internet. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> so what happened was somehow Amazon was given or selected from their file store or whatever. Uh, everybody who picked up Kerblam on Amazon Prime Video they got the captions for Kerblam, and they got the episode description for Kerblam, but what they got was the video for The Witchfinders several days early. Oopsie. I know at least one person, uh, Joy Piedmont, friend of the show, uh, got to see it early. I, I, I need to amend that. The original title for this episode was going to be Monster Dunk, because this episode has monsters, and it has dunking. Joy supported Alyssa in her bid to overturn that episode title with the current title, Ugly Roots. Joy may be a friend of the show, but she's not my friend anymore. Come on, Chip. You know you love a good pun. My pun was great. My pun was a pun. What was... What? Monster Dunk! Monster Dunk! It's a sports pun! That's... That's... That's not a pun. That's a descriptor. <laughs> this podcast is over. So the Witchfinders. I really liked it. I thought it was a really well done, engaging, fun story. It was excellent. I'm seeing universal acclaim almost for it. It's got just about every Doctor Who trope in it, like within the space of 50 minutes. And yet it doesn't feel overstuffed to me. It feels like it's got the most effective plot in terms of just story structure that we've had all season, or at least close to it. It's way up there. It's got good pacing. It's got good plot. It's got a really good story that balances a lot of elements that would be very easy to get wrong. And it is very beautifully shot. This is not a story that is really trying to play up its location. Like this is not, we went very far away to an expensive country or we paid a lot of money for CGI work here. It is trying to make sort of an ordinary landscape suddenly look sinister and haunting. And it does a very good job of mixing in those sort of atmospheric shots in with making ordinary scenes set in a clearing in the woods, 
look very, very menacing and alarming. So hats off to Joy Wilkinson, the writer, and Sally Abraham, the director, which by the way, depending on how you count it, this is either the second or third story ever in Doctor Who's history to be written and directed by women. Um, the first was Enlightenment in 1983. And some people count The Mark of the Ronnie, which was directed by Sarah Hellings and written by Jane Baker and her husband, Pip. Um, so because husband was involved, some people don't count it, some people don't mind and do count it. Either way, this is only the second or third story ever in Doctor Who's history to be written and directed by women. So uh, another little historical notch uh, for this story and very well done to the both of them. And I think that that leads itself to a discussion of one of the elements that is a big deal in this episode. And that is, this is the first historical episode where the doctor's womanhood really plays into the story in a huge way. She makes the point in the story, if I was still a bloke, I could just get on with the job. But because she is a woman in this situation, she is distrusted, viewed with suspicion. She is arrested, nearly killed for being a witch. You know, the doctor has gotten into some scrapes when they've gone up against authority. But this is a situation specifically where the people the doctor was up against made a point of noting that the doctor presents now as a woman. And they view women in this time period as being inherently inferior and particularly in the context of witch trials as more likely to be susceptible to evil doings and magic and Satan. And that's historically the vast majority of victims of witch trials were women. And this is a particularly dangerous time to be a woman, specifically a woman who does not conform to societal expectations of women. And I mean, the doctor is anything but a conformist. The doctor is the prototype for nonconformity, if that makes sense. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, oh, I see what you did there. Prototype for nonconformity. I'm on top of it today, man. There's another line in the episode that sort of speaks to this, and it happens earlier, uh, before things start getting really dire for the doctor. She's complaining to her fam as they're beginning their investigation. These are hard times for women. If we're not being drowned, we're being patronized to death. And when I heard that line, I had a moment, and I wonder if you agree with me. I felt like the doctor was still carrying a little bit of her sort of residual privilege. She's been used after so many incarnations, being the white guy in the room, being taken for granted in so many places. Um, And it felt to me like this was the first time that we've seen on screen that she's really actually struggling with the fact that she isn't allowed that privilege anymore. What do you think? I mean, I don't necessarily agree with that. I get where you're going with that. But I think part of it is the doctor in a position where she is 
really being denied any sort of intelligence, any sort of agency, any sort of responsibility and authority in this situation because of her perceived gender. And this has not been such a problem in previous stories um, because of the situations that the doctor has been in. And really, I empathized with the doctor in this scenario because, you know, even now, you can come up against guys like that in our current world, in our current structure, and it's massively, massively annoying. And you have the sense that even though that is an attitude that the doctor could encounter in that time period, it's not the universal attitude. You have other women in this story remarking on their own intelligence and how difficult things are for them in this world to be able to get by, to get respect. Like, you know, this women always have a sense of their own intelligence, agency, responsibility, and it is always difficult for them to come up against somebody who immediately discounts all of that because of their perceived gender. It's very, very rare. And generally, if you encounter it, it speaks to a lot of internalized misogyny that any woman would agree with that out of hand. We know how smart we are. This is an attitude that even I could encounter. So I think it's the doctor speaking to a particular situation that she is in, not so much recognizing an inherent loss of privilege, that really comes later when her life is directly in threat and noting that she would not be perceived the same way and specifically would not be threatened. And even then, I I don't know that I entirely agree with the wording because, you know, the doctor has always been in difficult situations before, they have always been threatened before, they have been locked up, that people have been trying to execute the doctor for a while now. This is just one particular situation in which being a woman is a particular liability to her. And so it's it's an, it's an immensely complicated situation for her t- to be in. You mentioned internalized misogyny, and I think that that uh, brings us to the characters of Becca Savage and Willa Twiston. I think they're both victims of it to a certain extent. That is partially true. I think Becca really sort of buys into it because, ironically, it's a thing that gives her power and authority because she can use this misogyny in order to accomplish her own ends in the village and murder those who represent a challenge to her or a threat to her. It is because of that internalized misogyny that she can present an appealing persona to the king, which can grant her authority to continue sort of her reign of terror in her own village. To Willa, I think, I don't even know that I'd call it internalized misogyny. Other, I think it, it's more that she really recognizes how dangerous and precarious her situation is. And it takes a lot of support and help from the doctor and the doctor's companions to be able to protect her to a degree to which she can feel safe standing up to those who are harming her and threatening her town and those that killed her grandmother. 
she has a very accurate perception of just how dangerous and awful things are for her. And it's very, very hard to overcome that and be able to both be brave enough, but also find the support that you need to be able to stand up to those people who are threatening you. Because really, if the doctor wasn't there, she'd have no support. She wouldn't be able to stand up and say anything without herself being killed. So I think, you know, when women are threatened, they have a fairly accurate understanding of just what exactly is dangerous for them to be doing. This episode is full of some terrific lines that just warmed my heart along the way. Willa says at one point, there are more powerful people here than kings and queens. There's us. Uh, and that seems to relate to the phrase repeated a couple of times by Graham and the doctor. It's a very flat team structure, which I just have to believe came up in the writer's room. <laughs> <laughs> that was a that was a good one. That was a good line. Graham quoting Pulp Fiction and uh, correcting King James when he says Ezekiel and no, no Tarantino, uh, which uh, made me giggle quite a bit. There's also one line that made me actually uncomfortable in this uh, episode. Becca says, as King James has written in his new Bible, thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. And the doctor responds, well, in the Old Testament, there's a twist in the sequel, love thy neighbor, which is why we've come to help you fix your problems without killing anyone. Um that I I would have written that differently, perhaps. I, I don't know. That sort of privileges Christianity over Judaism to a certain extent. Although it's language that ha would have worked to the doctor's audience. I don't know. I, th I think it would have. But I think, you know, there's also kind of an argument to be made there of a lot of people look to the Old Testament who proclaim to be Christian and completely ignore everything that happened in the New Testament it does seem like a, a fairly reasonable argument from the doctor to point out that, you know, you seem to be selectively choosing from your religious materials here. She mm -hmm. is dealing with Christian extremists during a very troubling time for the history of the church, especially as you have King James, you know, being fairly selective with uh, his own religious history. Uh, fairly selective moment. indeed. Yeah. Shall, we, shall we talk about King James as written and as performed by the one and only Alan Cumming? <laughs> I really liked his performance. I thought it was very great. It was very, very on the nose. <laughs> very much so. I don't know much about King James. What I learned about him that I didn't know before pretty much came from, of all places, Neil Gaiman's 1602 miniseries. Uh, so, yeah, I, uh, don't add Deep me. Deep cut there. <laughs> Don't at me. If you've never read it, it's fascinating. Oh, um, I've read it. <laughs> I love it. That was when I first learned that King James was indeed very selective in which aspects of Christian morality that he would adopt and which ones he'd wink at. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, I, I think a lot of people who aren't terribly well versed in history were a little surprised at this portrayal. You know, I think it's not a terribly well-known fact that King James had several male companions, that he was fairly public about being some of his dearest companions. And uh, he had a secret passage made. I mean, yes, yes, he did. Secret passage made to his uh, dearest male friend's bedroom. 
I can't use gal pals. And do you know how painful this is to me to have the precise moment for which the phrase gal pals is perfect for and not be able to use it? Sorry. Queer lingo sometimes is super hyper specific. James comes across as very much a threat, a historical figure that has to be in the end protected because history. The doctor once again does her level best to connect on the basis of empathy and of progressivism and utterly fails up until the point when King James is captured by the mud zombies. Wait, go more into that. I'm not following. She tries when she is captured by James. She tries to reason with him, tries to go for the quid pro quo. I will reveal secrets to you. Give me the sonic screwdriver back. Get me out of these chains. Don't you want to know? Don't you want to understand? Isn't there a better way? He closes her down. It's not until that he's even... And he never really recants his ways. It's just not until he gets captured and they rescue him that uh, he gives them a second chance of any sort. Right. I'm I'm more meant about the aliens because, like, the aliens were pretty clearly evil all the way through. Like, oh, yeah. They were really not something that maybe at best the doctor could have pulled a this is your last chance to leave. But even then, that wasn't really an option because what she was dealing with was a clearly genocidal alien race oh. that it had been previously imprisoned. For sure. I'm I'm drawing a distinction between how she dealt with James and how she dealt with the mud zombies. Right. Well, uh, well, the mud zombies were, you know, being remotely controlled by the genocidal aliens. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there wasn't there. There is, I think, kind of a practical line to be drawn there of these aliens don't seem to be in a self-reflecting mood. No, Maybe that is not the best way to deal with them. No, uh, one of the one of the few outright bad people. And they are a sci-fi villain in the best Doctor Who sort of sense. You know, I love when the Doctor uses her sonic screwdriver on the tree limbs that were used for the dunking stool and the electronically jiggery pokery are revealed underneath. And it just sort of brings it all together in the end. Doctor Who, when it deals with supernatural-ish stuff, usually has to come up with a scientific explanation for what's been going on here. And there's a bit of exposition about the Doctor sort of thinking out loud, exposits and figures out that this happened all you know, centuries ago, and they're non-corporeal entities that are making use of the bodies and things like that. In the end, you're taking out sci-fi baddies with torches. It's, 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 they really are the witch finders and witch hunters in the end. I thought that was kind of fun. But overall, you know, I think they really did a good balance here between the sci-fi elements and the witchcraft elements of it, because I think this is an episode where they could have gone really wrong with that. And I liked that we were able to have like a real alien menace here, you know, like there was actually something wrong and there was a just truly evil, no reflection, no empathy, no just chaotic agent evil here that could be dealt with, that could be a real threat, but that ultimately it kind of highlighted that witchcraft trials were a sham that killed unspeakable numbers of innocent people 
the vast majority of whom were women. Ultimately, all of the women killed in the witchcraft trials had been innocent, and they were persecuted and killed for other reasons, particularly that Becca was ashamed and afraid of something that was happening to her. And so to protect herself, she was pointing the finger at other people at to other get them women. killed. At other women to get them killed. And she was using the witchcraft trials as a way to silence or kill her enemies, either to make them so afraid to speak out like Willa, or just to ultimately just end it and kill them so that they couldn't be a threat to her anymore. You know, it, it would be a little bit too easy and simplistic to have an episode about witch finders and talk about women needing to be allies to other women. And, you know, I think this episode really did need to point out that those women who were in a position of authority and privilege could use them to advance their own status, protect themselves, and kill other women that they didn't like or who were a threat to them. And I think it's important to point out the women who are complicit and those who benefit in moments like this throughout history. Because ultimately, women do look out for women, but not all women look out for each other. Um, and I think that it it managed to balance the sci-fi elements and the witchcraft elements of it very well and really point out that even though there was a real threat, the threat was from the leader of the witchcraft trials. And ultimately, they were an expression of fear and hatred and self-loathing and political advancement. Mm. Let's go back to that original quote that I mentioned about the TARDIS team having a very flat structure. It's like the writer Joy Wilkinson and the writing team and Chibnall are being very self-aware in this moment of just how they've structured this season and Team TARDIS. And I like that everybody has their role in this episode. Graham's wearing a funny hat. I like Graham, Graham in a funny, a funny hat. hat. <laughs> I really like Graham in a funny hat. He adopts the lead role when it becomes clear that King James and Becca are not going to allow the doctor to lead the way that she should be able to. Yaz is, once more, very proactive, very much a force of nature. And Ryan plays the game with King James very, very well. I really like what each character and each actor has to contribute to this episode. I think the team did a really good job. And I think each person got really sort of shining moments throughout it that they could sort of stand out as the lead in their own moment. You know, they're, uh, it, it's hard to balance such a large team. And there have definitely been episodes where we've all commented that it seems like one person is getting a little bit favored over the others, um, which probably will be fine overall, but is hard when you're at the beginning of this season and you are kind of looking for more of every single character. Um, but I think this episode really got the balance right. Good villains, good supporting characters, social commentary is pretty much on point. Anything that didn't work for you about this one? It's one of my favorites of the season. Yeah, I think it did really, really well. This week on The Incomparable Network. The Incomparable performs rocket surgery on Disney's 1979 space opera horror mashup, The Black Hole. And not everyone agrees that it's a bad movie. Sophomore Lit indulges in its annual Drunk Thanksgiving episode. 
Seastruckcast celebrates the season four finale of Orphan Black at length. And a brand new live RPG adventure begins on Total Party Kill. All this and more at TheIncomparable.com. A few quick news items before we go. Uh, Tom Baker, well, James Goss, adapting the script from Tom Baker and Ian Martyr, is releasing a novelization of their idea for a movie that was then titled Doctor Who Meets Scratchman. The Doctor, Sarah Jane Smith, and Harry Sullivan versus an ancient force claiming to be the devil. James Goss has uh, been adapting several of Douglas Adams's old stories uh, into novels, and now he's adapting tom baker so it's just going to be really weird seeing a novel coming out on the shelves about doctor who with tom baker's name just sort of prominently there on the masthead i'm really curious to see what this is going to be like i had never heard about this and i dig fairly deep into this stuff now but always new things to learn and discover so uh i'm curious i'm curious to know what their idea was There was a lot of buzz in the last week or so. Starburst magazine claims that the BBC is on the record that Doctor Who will be back in 2019, not 2020. Uh, There were uh, some rumors circulating that we were going to have another skip year. But Starburst also repeats rumors of strife behind the scenes. And we're not going to get super deep into it. Just advise everyone to take everything with a grain of salt. I generally expect when I read an article that claims that the BBC or anybody else is going on the record about something, I usually expect to see a quote attached to that. And rumors can come from anywhere. Yeah. I mean, honestly, there's kind of stuff like this that circulates all the time. Life is strife. I don't know what to tell you, folks. Sometimes people don't get along for a little bit. And then because people are professionals, they sort it out and things move along. So I'm not particularly going to get into any of the gossip here. And Adam Miller has an article in the UK Metro. Basically, good on Jodie Whittaker for defending Doctor Who from accusations of being supposedly too PC. She was uh, interviewed after turning on the Christmas lights at London's Regent Street. And, you know, she says, what's the point of making a show if it doesn't reflect society today? Doctor Who has the best ratings that it's had in years right now. So I think the people who are claiming that the show is flailing uh, because of its PC agenda, they're wrong on the facts and their agenda is fairly clear. The people who are arguing this, frankly, are getting an outsized amount of attention to their overall influence in fandom and conversations around these stories. Uh, And frankly, they're always going to be there. And the only reason they're arguing this is because Doctor Who is not currently aligning with their very particular political view. But honestly, it's a gross misunderstanding both of science fiction and the history of Doctor Who, which has always been a politically engaged show, um, which has always worn its views and opinions on its sleeve. And what is happening right now is frankly, probably less controversial than a lot of things that it has done in the past. It's 
taking on good stories. It's at least attempting a good faith effort to challenge what is going on in society now and what has gone on in our history. You all have heard me and Chip talk about this last season and where we think it really nails it and where it fumbles, but I still will wholeheartedly support an attempt to sort of challenge our pre-existing notions of the world. So, you know, I get why we're still asking this question and we're still reporting on it because it gets clicks, including our own. But frankly, we know who these people are. We know their agenda. And uh, I think we can safely ignore the people claiming Doctor Who is too PC now. Yeah. If you've got a problem with Doctor Who telling stories about Rosa Parks or the partition of India, times change. And that brings This Week in Time Travel to a close. We've only got two more episodes to the series and then a New Year's special to look forward to. You can find more of our episodes at thisweekintimetravel.com. We're on Twitter at DRWhoThisWeek. Alyssa blogs and tweets at Feminism on Twitter and Tumblr. And I'm on Twitter at numeral 2 minute time Lord. You can check us out on Facebook as well. Please follow us wherever you can. Thanks to Christopher Breen for our original theme music and to David J. Lore for our original podcast logo and artwork. Please review us on Apple Podcasts and consider becoming a member of the Incomparable Network where you can support other shows like ours. And if you really love us, tell all your friends about us. Thanks a lot. We will see you next time on This Week in Time Travel. Bye-bye. Oh, right. They can't see us.